Lisa, Lisa Worf, Tom Bullock. How y'all doing? Good. How are you, Greg Collar? Glad to see the week coming to an end. Always. Always? Yeah, I am. Yeah. This one. yeah, it's been a busy week for both of you. Yes, it has. <laughs> I think we're so tired we don't know what to say. But we'll say something. <laughs> well, the Lisa is Lisa Worf, Assistant News Director, and uh, Tom Bullock is Money Influence Reporter. I'm Greg Collard, News Director at WFAE, and this is WFAE Talks. And today we're going to talk about education and politics. Tom, in a moment, we'll get to your story on tax-deductible donations to political groups. But first, we're going to talk about a story that just went crazy this week. And uh, Lisa, it was your story on a teaching method called No Nonsense Nurturing that's being taught in CMS's Project Lift Schools. And you first did this story back in November for us, but a national version aired on NPR last weekend. And it's just really taken off on social media, mommy blogs, uh, several TV stations have given it attention. And today, No Nonsense Nurturing was even the subject of a Good Morning America segment in which they talk to the same people who were in your story. So... It's crazy. It's just yeah, all over the place. We're getting is, all kinds of. <laughs> it is really intriguing. I mean, it's it's an intriguing method of instruction. You know, it mm-hmm. it it basically. And and some people point out that there's nothing that's that new to it, but they've kind of systematized this. Um, and it's uh, based a group uh, based in San Francisco does a lot of this sort of consulting work with schools and. You know, teachers have to give very specific directions to students. You know, it's not just like sit there and read a book. It's like, you know, sit there, voices on zero, uh, open your book up, read for five minutes, then close your book. And then there's this thing that happens with narration afterwards. So you uh, narrate what your students are doing. You know, Susie's uh, reading quietly uh, Sam is, you know, it's 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 an odd thing to to actually and, hear. And the theory behind this, and we're going to hear a sample of that from your story uh, in a moment. But what what uh, what is the theory behind that? Why why talk to the kids this way? It is to be very specific about your expectations, to continually lay them out, because most of the schools that this is in um, are schools with a lot of low-income kids, um, you know, and the idea is that they don't have structure in their home lives, and um, this puts that structure into their lives. And finally, you know, you kind of ease off after a while, but... Um, that's that's the idea. Well, the big deal, and they made a big deal of this in the national stories, mm-hmm. that is you don't say please. Yeah, please, please, they really discourage that, that um, you're not asking someone to do something. You, you're telling them. You know, the example that uh, Denise Watts, who heads the Project Lift Schools in, in West Charlotte that this is in, says, like, hey, you know, no one says please come to work tomorrow at your job. <laughs> so, you know, what... What's the use in it? <laughs> this whole thing sounds like computer code to me. I know that sounds like a strange kind of uh, comparison, but it sounds literally like... The specificity, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you're writing computer code, the whole thing is you tell exactly what to do at every step of the way, and it just sounds very similar to that. Well, here's uh, how it sounds. This is from Lisa's, a uh, couple uh, segments from Lisa's story back in November from a teacher at Druid Hills Academy. What's her name again? Her name is uh, Venetia Elfert. And this is how uh, so how she spoke to uh, kids in her classroom. While Taylor is at the board explaining the problem, your pencil is in your hand, your voice is on zero. If you got the problem correct, you're following along and checking off your answer. Venetia's looking at me. Denaria put her pencils down, good indicators. 
Monica put hers down and she's looking at me. There you have it. <laughs> Are you thinking about running news meetings like this now, Greg? <laughs> yes. Tom has Tom, a story Tom, idea. Tom, Tom you look sitting. at me. <laughs> I, I am talking to you and you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't happen the whole class, but these sort of transition periods, there's there's a lot of the narration. Um, so, uh, uh, what, 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 what is, first, I mean, it's, it's weird how big it got because, again, we're, we're granted we're not a national station, but we are – you know, we we have a good audience, and the way stories get picked up with links and everything. You'd, I would have, I, to be honest. I thought there would be a little bit more, a bigger deal made out of the, this story when it aired in November on WFAE, and there was some interest there, but really didn't not not a big a deal as made out of it as I thought. No one, and certainly no one picked up on it locally. I don't think did or did the Charlotte Observer pick the up Observer, on the Observer uh, ran ran, ran, ran story. your story. That's yeah. right. So, but nothing came of that. Uh, really, yeah. no, we didn't hear anything else about that, and then aired on NPR over the weekend. Then it's just everywhere. And we also learned that uh, when stories take off, there were some also some examples of some bad reporting done this week by some of the outlets that picked it up. Yeah, I mean it's it's really intriguing to see how how things spread. And yesterday, I was at a, a school meeting, and I got a phone call from the Project Lift people, and they said, "You know, do you know anything why we're seeing so many reports about?" about no nonsense and and uh, did you say anything about it you know there was some illusion in in one report um and and basically i guess tv stations do uh packages and then a bunch of local tv stations will all pick up on that and so that's what happened in this but um it doesn't sound like they they called cms or anything to to confirm it like they led into the report with the phrase, you know, this is for so-called bratty children. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, officials yeah. at Druid Hill, this is from the ABC affiliate in Chicago, officials at Druid Hills Academy in Charlotte say that the goal is to make so-called bratty kids behave. That was never in, that's never been reported. No, how, about, how about the title? No. The headline I never said of, that. of the package too was North Carolina teachers told not ever, or not, don't ever ban, say please. Yeah. Ban, or bl- banned from saying please. Yes, it's limited. It is fair to say mm-hmm. that they, they discourage it, but it wasn't outright banned. Um, but yeah, there were reports that it was outright banned, that they were outright prohibited from doing it. And uh, can you imagine yeah, <laughs> these Watts, CMS, the superintendent of Project Lyft saying, um, or, or, or any principal at Druid Hills Academy saying, hey, our goal is to make so-called bratty kids behave. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no. it's absurd. No, and that yeah, gets reported I, in TV media. Well, I wonder, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of that story in, what was it, uh, Woodland, North Carolina, Eastern Shore or Eastern North Carolina about the solar power plant. Um, yes. And Greg LaCour, if you haven't read it yet, you really should go check it out. He did a great piece for Charlotte Magazine. Um, that that kind of knocked down this whole thing where, you know, North Carolina man's uh, or North Carolina town worried that building a solar plant will suck all the energy from the sun. And I mean, it basically it's like I wonder if everybody thinks North Carolina, those, you know, wackadoos down there have done something else. North Carolina bans, please. North Carolina mm-hmm. thinks this, that solar plants will suck all the energy out of the sun. Um, like it just it's beginning to sound like that's. That's the, the viral nature of and it. And it's interesting, too, because, I mean, this is something that, yeah, is in North Carolina, but it's in a lot more places than 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 here. Yes, so. nine schools, basically. Is 250 schools nationwide. at least In nationwide. CMS, it's nine. Is it, is yeah. it nine schools? It's nine schools here in CMS. So um, it's just intriguing how a story gets picked up and, and uh, done over. And, and so that one story was... 
But to uh, be, be sure, it does make it is a significant change from traditional teaching, even though there are elements of it yeah. of traditional teaching that it is a, a significant change in how you address kids. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. It's a very systematized uh, way of doing this. But th- that one package we mentioned, like, had a bunch of uh, school footage in there. Mm-hmm. And I, when we were talking yesterday, you said, "Well, it looks like they went to the school in there." And I, right. I said, "No, that's that's stock footage because I mean." The schools. Every everyone, every kid was white. Every kid was white, and huh. basically, I mean, and, and this is what the story addressed. Mm-hmm. My story addressed right. is that this is in schools where it's lots of African American and Latino kids, and um, you know, there's some worry that this is, you know, colonization is mm-hmm. what uh, one professor called it. Right. This, you know, making kids to to look like you, and that it's more. Um, you know, about compliance and, and not engagement, which is uh, where learning happens. So uh, they, they mentioned Druid, they say Druid Hills Academy and Charlotte in the, in the story, then all the video footage is clearly not of <laughs> Druid Hills Academy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the details. Yes, you would think ridiculous. they had stock footage somewhere of an inner city school or, or something, a minority school. That surprises me that all the kids were white. That's amazing. Go back, I encourage you to listen to uh, Lisa's story. It's on, a really uh, good story, and it has all the context. Right. It was what well, was about a five and a half, six minute story. Has, yeah, the lo- uh, yeah, the local one was probably about five and a half. And, and really well done, and try to. I mean, no matter what you think, it's a good, good, good under of the method. It's a great story on the method, and you get a clear understanding of what they're doing and what they're why they're doing it, and and how they're and how they are teaching this method. So it got a good edit too. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, uh, well, speaking of Project Lift, uh, the, the hits just keep on yes, coming. Yes, well, Project Lift schools they have their their part of CMS, obviously, but Project Lift has its own board. But the board doesn't have any public meetings except for one meeting a year. One has one public meeting a year, and that was this week, and you attended. What'd you think? Yeah, it was it was an interesting look into a Project Lift board meeting, and and this meeting was primarily going through um, how Project Lift is doing in general. They they went through a lot of numbers. Uh, they are very they say, hey, we data is really important. They employ an outside research company to crunch numbers, and so uh, most of it was their presentation. I mean, they're trying to figure out what strategies work and which ones aren't. But when you're having all these different approaches, you know, in the same school, for example, it's it's really hard to narrow in what's uh, what's making a difference. And, you know, this is not surprising. We, I mean, we've heard this before that, you know, they, there have been some gains within those schools, um, but nothing like what they were hoping for uh, when they be- began this. And this is, you know, nine schools that feed into each other and you know, and there's fifty-five a lot. million dollars is the the private money. So the Project Lift board is composed of uh, philanthropists, uh, foundation heads who have um, you know put this money into this project to see over five years what they can do at these schools. And one of the things they've learned is that kids are uh, tr- very very transient in these very schools transient. more than, more than and, they ever realized. And I mean, you know, with. Uh, you know, with schools with a lot of um, high poverty student populations that, I mean, you know, families in poverty move more. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of the they're more transient. But um, they looked at it and over three years, they had 50 percent of their kids gone 
and replaced by a new 50%, which is kind of mind-boggling. And Denise Watts, who's the superintendent, said, I mean, she she was kind of blown away at that number. And she she's taught in, and she's taught in that area yeah. for yeah, uh, she, the principal. She's taught at, and... at, at at several high poverty mm. schools. So um yeah and and the co chair Anna Spangler Nelson, she um was listing a bunch of surprises, you know, that they had over the last three years. And and this was one of the things she noted, you know, they targeted these schools because they wanted to see what a difference they could make for a specific set of, of children as they move through mm-hmm. uh, the grades. And she said, you know, had we had we realized it was this way, this would not have been our strategy. Now, I mean, they also are very still gung-ho, sure. you know, they're, they're still optimistic and they're still dedicated about what's going on. Well, one of the things you also asked uh, board members and, and including its chairman, um, uh, Stick, Stick Williams, mm-hmm. why the non-public board meetings throughout the year and it's it's hard to get information on and we've been trying to get some more information on project lift in the last couple months and so we were uh, looking forward to this one public meeting they have a year but you you asked and it's public because they have the cms board and if there's a quorum okay you know if they have a a, that's the only reason quorum of members yeah quorum of members yeah then then it has to be a public meeting so otherwise it would be private if it was just a meeting okay yeah uh but they they defend uh the the privacy of those meetings yeah, I mean, one thing he said is that, look, we're not making policy. You know, these are, um, you know, we're, we're basically just figuring out how our extra private dollars are spent. And I said, well, you know, for example, no-nonsense nurturing. I'm sure that was a board call and that— Project Lift board call. Yeah, Project yeah. Lift board call. And, and that informs instruction that's at all policy. If you're, if you're If you're yeah. changing how you're teaching kids, that's policy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, what the main thing, I talked to a couple board members, uh, Project Lift board members, and, and they said, look, um, we wanted to have honest discussions. And we felt like that um, being able to, to talk in private lets us, um, you know, wrestle with some things. And, you know, we decided that all of our decisions will be very public. Um, we will invite people into the schools, but for the sausage making, things can sometimes, um, you know, get get tough. Well, I would normally just have the same look you had, Tom, and, 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 yeah. and say I – but – Having said that, after seeing how some of the, how the some of the media reported on the no nonsense nurturing, <laughs> maybe they have a point. It's hard yeah. to. <laughs> but you know, here's here's the thing. I think Project Lift is laudable. I think the fact that people are putting fifty million dollars of private money is absolutely something that you wish uh, more people would be willing to do. And they're really trying to figure it out. I give them all the credit for that in the world. Oh, the sure. reason I had a look on my face is still these are still public schools. Right. These <clears throat> the teacher salaries are still paid by CMS. The schools are still CMS schools. These aren't even charters. These are flat out CMS public schools. And to me, I understand that, uh, I mean, I'm a political reporter, believe me. I know that watching any kind of sausage get made, get made is nasty and, and disheartening. And I understand where they're coming from. But, you know, you can have a frank conversation because you want to. You don't have to do it behind closed doors. It's just interesting to mm-hmm. me. It's yeah. just really interesting. And it's interesting, too, because it, it, charter schools were brought up. Um, you know, there was the CMS board members were there, and it was kind of this sort of reaffirmation of this partnership that they've had over the last three and a half years. And, um, you know, the someone on the Project Lift board said, hey, you know, we, we could have chosen a charter school, right? I mean, you would have 
well, you'd probably... They're supposed to have public meetings, They too. are supposed to have public meetings, yes, yes. <laughs> and um, in fairness, charter schools are still public schools. I just are. characterize them as kind not of a separate them, category. Not but. all of them try oh, to... Oh, no, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're very much public schools, but they, you know, they're saying, but we decided that it was very important to us to stay in the traditional public school realm and uh, work with the district. But um, sure, it's, it's uh, you know, it seems, it seems odd not to be led mm-hmm. into a, a, a meeting. So like was, it, was it crowded? Were there a lot of people there for this one time? No, it wasn't crowded. Huh. It was fa- it was held at Foundation for the Carolinas, and it was in a, a conference room, not a, not a large conference room. There were seven or eight uh, Project Lift board members there. I believe there's about 15 altogether, and there were maybe like five or six CMS board members there, and um, three re- researchers, uh, a handful of Project Lift staff, and three reporters. Now, why are so many kids moving in and out? Uh, is, is it just because family's moving, or is it back when this started, uh, was it three years or four years ago now? Is it? Uh, yeah, this is the fourth year. Okay. It's in the fourth year. Charter schools have become even uh, more charter schools than it. Are they losing kids to charter schools? That's what they don't know, and that's what CMS was saying, is is it would be great if we understood where these kids are. Now, my my thought, and it, it sounded like this was a thought in the room, is that a lot of it is the transient life yeah. mm-hmm. that poverty brings. Because, um, you know, in in these areas, like, you know, I was sitting in uh, a school yesterday and, you know, someone came in and, and said, was talking to the secretary and, and said, wait, what is a magnet? And, you know, I, th- I think that's what CMS feels is problematic that, you know, there are choices within and without CMS that a lot of parents don't know about. Uh, maybe they don't have the time. They, you know, mm-hmm. anyway. So... It's it's hard to tell, but my thought is probably it's it's moving around uh, zones. Well, good reporting on that mm-hmm. this week, and I know you'll stay on top of that. Tom, let's get to your story now. Five hundred one C three political organizations. Uh, Something and, that those two things are never supposed to go together. It's no. Supposed to be oil and water, <laughs> and before everybody rolls their eyes at another five hundred one C anything. Right, and you and you can get it. You can help out these groups, uh, give to them, and get. You're get a tax yeah, deduction, just like given to, uh, well, whether it's WFAE, which is a 501c3, or uh, some, what, what was the... the, the Pediatric, Pediatric Cancer Foundation. Yeah, or, or, or the Red any Cross, charity. or the yeah. Boys and Girls Club, <laughs> or your local... Oh, so... <clears throat> So to uh, to to catch everybody up on on I know most people eyes glaze over at five hundred one C five hundred one C three is kind of this the grand um, prize for any nonprofit. It means that you are deemed by the IRS as so important or so uh, so charitable or that you do such good work that you get to give your donors a tax deduction. But you in order to do that, you have to be willing to uh, submit to certain rules. Um, one of the big rules is you're not supposed to do political activity. There are some loopholes in this. I mean, it's it's campaign finance law in 2016. There are definitely going to be loopholes. You have the right to spend, in, in some cases, up to a million dollars on issue advocacy. You can do um, ballot initiatives. You can you can actually talk about issues. You can argue for lower taxes. You can say, hey, the NC Connect bond package is a wonderful thing. You can You can put more money towards that because those are considered issues and not political because you don't say, vote for or against a candidate. But what you're seeing right now is you're seeing a whole lot more 
um, freedom of these groups to kind of really stretch the rules, if not outright break the rules. And that's largely because this, when I found this out, I was just amazed of a single paragraph in the omnibus budget that was passed in December. And this is the budget that kept the federal government from shutting down. And in a single paragraph, it lays out this this fact that the IRS can no longer, you know, set new regulations or guidelines or all these different kinds of things on these particular groups and 501c4s, which can be a little more political than C3s. I can get to that if you're really Mm -hmm. interested. But the key thing is the IRS was working on a definition of political activity because after Citizens United and all the changes, nobody really knows what that means anymore. So you had this kind of grouping of, of charities that wanted to know what they could and could not do without breaking the law. So in January of 2015, they asked the IRS to, to say, okay, just tell us. We want to know, and they were, this is a bipartisan group. It was a combination of evangelical Christian groups and, um, you know, liberal nonprofits like Public Citizen. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, just tell us. We want to make sure that we know what the rules are. And the IRS was just about to give that definition. In fact, it should have come out a couple of days from now from when we're taping this on uh, on Friday. And... Um, and then in the budget, somebody slipped in one of those classic writers there. Nobody knows who the author is, but it slid in at the last moment. And it bars the IRS from finishing all of that um, until after this fiscal year, which basically means that <laughs> the election, it basically <laughs> means the 2016 election. So without any, I mean, imagine playing, imagine play, I was describing it this way to a friend, imagine playing football, right? We've got the pan, we've got Panthers fever. Let's do a football analogy. Imagine playing football. And the referee comes up to you and says, they are not going to call pass interference. That's when a defensive guy gets in the mm-hmm. way of a, you know, a, a receiver or somebody on the offense and really just, you know, knocks them around in ways they're not supposed to. We're not going to call that at all. It, it doesn't matter what you do this year. We're not going to call it. Or in this game, we're not going to call it at all. Can you imagine what would happen mm-hmm. on the field? Well, we could see the political ramifications, the exact same thing, basically, because the IRS has said, we can't do anything, guys. Mm-hmm. You're on your own. And this wasn't some... Uh, si- an unknown writer because Paul sometimes out there people really don't know yeah uh, these can these can be a surprise but House Speaker Paul Ryan mentioned this yeah in a way that <laughs> so was, he, it was, he's very aware of, of this he was giddy yes. I mean he was absolutely giddy and he is yeah held, that, that was really surprising yeah and he report. if um you know at the time he was the newly minted Speaker of the House before that on the Budget Committee he had gone after the IRS and and um, campaign finance he's been doing it for a long time it may have been Ryan we don't know but. He was absolutely giddy, and I remember like looking, listening to this press conference, going, "What? What did he say?" Because it just it was so random when you're rattling off all the things the budget's going to do, and it's like we've stopped the IRS from impeding on free speech. Right? What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a couple other things here too, because these 501c3 groups often have uh, sister related 501c4 groups, where the, the rules have always been a little bit looser mm-hmm. with them. So. You can give to these 501c3s that effectively support these 501c4 groups. They subsidize them. Subsidize They them. can subsidize them, yeah. And that is a really common practice. There is – think of it as a stool. Think of this this kind of tactic now being used as a stool, three-leg stool. 527s, 501c4s, and 501c3s. 527s you, you know better as a pack or a super pack. 501c4s, these are the social welfare groups. They're, they're only supposed to spend about, oh, about 50% of their revenue on political activity, but – that's if they get audited, and, and now that the IRS can't define political activity for C4s, they, they can say, hey, we didn't know that was considered political activity. We wouldn't, wouldn't have done it, so they have plausible deniability. And then you have 501c3s as this third leg. Well, 
five t- super PACs can do whatever they want when it comes to political spending, but they have to put out their lists, their donor lists, and there are limits on what you can give them. 501c4s and c3s can keep their lists, their donor lists secret and can take pretty much unlimited money from just about anything. Corporations, people, if you have a pet that wants to give, they can give. I mean, whatever it is, they can take money from anyone in any way. Um, And then the but the interesting thing is there are some donors who really want a little something extra for their political contribution. And the C3s aren't supposed to subsidize the C4's political activity, but they sure can cover rent. Mm-hmm. For if they're in the same building, they can cover salaries if they're in the same building. And, uh, and, you know, officially there's supposed to be a formula that divvies all this up. But the IRS is not auditing people mm-hmm. now because they know how political this issue is. So they're not audit- auditing these groups. And you see this across the political spectrum. The NRA, the Sierra Club, the ACLU, the NAACP, there, there are all kinds of groups that have this kind of three-legged stool approach. And I'm not saying that they're all doing or any of them are doing this this kind of shady thing where the 501c3 is subsidizing the C4, but it does go on. And that's that's something that could easily go on more this year. And this change basically says, hey, this continues because nothing is defined, right? Exactly. So it, it just kind it. of <laughs> ensures that that's the case. And yeah. these ads are political. You, you had some examples in your story of some, of some ads produced by 501c3 groups. Here's one example. Who's behind the attacks on Kay Hagan? Oil industry billionaires. That's who. So far this year, we've been spared from the political ad bonanza that is sure to come. This is from the 2014 U.S. Senate fight between Kay Hagan and Tom Tillis. Officially, it's an issue ad about clean air. Thanks, Senator Hagan, for fighting for common sense air quality protections. What makes that non-political? It all comes down to a single word, and that single word is vote. If they don't say vote for or vote against a candidate, then it's considered issue advocacy. And this particular ad is considered uh, clean air advocacy. It says, thank Kay Hagan. It does not say vote for Kay Hagan. So they can get away with it. It's, it's, it's right on the gray area. It's pushing, you know, it's pushing at least the intent of the law, if not directly the letter of that law, or I guess in this case, that regulation. Um, but the, we're going to see more of these. I mean, the reason I use this 2014 ad is because so far, knock wood, we have been mercifully spared the ad bonanza that is going to hit North Carolina, and we will see more of these kinds of ads. And basically, it's going to be up to people who watch them to note whether or not it is an, an independent group that's doing it or a candidate that's doing it. And I had, I had heard nothing about that change um, until I heard your story. I mean, it, it was just kind of like... Huh. Yeah, it surprised me too. I mean, I wonder if we've hit fatigue. I wonder if we've hit campaign finance kind of craziness fatigue. And it's complicated. I mean, going through IRS. I think code, we all do at times. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I certainly do. I mean, and, and I'm supposed to cover this stuff, but it, it gets to a point where it is so murky and nobody wants to be the enforcer. You know, it's the easiest stories to do in journalism are breaking news and clearly defined they broke the rule news. Breaking news has a plot line. You just follow mm-hmm. right along. They broke a rule news is you can literally say, here is the rule. Here's how they broke it. Here's what their punishment is. It also pretty much has a plot line. This stuff is so gray. It's so murky. It is so fungible that it really leads itself to being um, really hard to boil down. I mean, frankly, it's one of the reasons – I stay in public radio. I mean, I love the fact that we have time to tell these kinds of stories because it's hard to imagine, you know, in television getting five and a half minutes to tell a campaign finance story. No and in, offense to everybody in TV out there. but 
And in North Carolina, this has even more significance in non-federal statewide races, as Mm -hmm. a story you did last month pointed out, because there's a recent uh, opinion from the state elections board that political campaigns for governor, for example, or Mm -hmm. state senate can actually coordinate with these 501c3 groups. Yep. It has to be outside of 60 days of of the election, 60 days of the election. You can't do it within that, but you can coordinate. So what this means is some donor can give to a candidate for governor, Roy Cooper or governor uh, Governor McCrory, and they they max out and said, okay, I know this 501c3 group is – is uh, going to support this candidate, so I'll give them, and be, we'll be doing ads on behalf of this of this candidate, and they're coordinating with this candidate. Mm-hmm. I could, I'll give this group five hundred thousand dollars or yep. whatever, <laughs> and, and and nobody would know because their donor list are secret. You know, one of the interesting things too is with these outside groups, and I don't think this gets reported on enough. Um, candidates love to say that they're not going negative, that they are, when it comes to these ads, that they are all about the positive. I have a vision. I can lead. I'm telling you about your options and what I would do. I'm not attacking my opponent because that, you know, we all hear attack ads and we think, oh, that is distasteful, but they work at least right now they work. So what happens is these better funded than the candidates outside groups can be the ones to go negative and they can coordinate with the candidate, so they could literally sit down and say, "We'll go ne- negative. We'll attack on this issue, and we'll make we'll be spending this much money in this market on these days for this long." What do you think, and what are we missing? And they can then work out an entire strategy. It's really amazing. Well, great reporting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, great, great story, guys. Another edition of WFA Talks is in the bag. Greg collared out. <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to work on Lisa's yes, whistling, you're I whistling. promise. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, Tom's is better. <laughs> <laughs>